ride with me in my foul life. Podcast World, what's up? Chat Belding back at you. Another episode of The Foul Life. Thank you all so much for the growth of the podcast as well as our sister podcast, This Life Ain't For Everybody. We are truly humbled by our audience, both in The Foul Life television show, all of our customers at Bandit, all of our customers at Jargon Game Calls, and all of you listeners to both of our podcasts. We have a lot of new podcast titles getting ready to drop under the This Life Ain't For Everybody umbrella. Look at us for fitness, training, cooking, barbecue, the snow life, the mountain life, skiing, snowboarding, you name it, we're going to have it. We have a lot of awesome hosts coming up. Can't wait to launch this and announce it to y'all. But again, thank you so much. Please go on and subscribe to The Foul Life and This Life Ain't For Everybody. Leave us a rating and a review. Today's episode of The Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by our friends again out of Paris, Texas, Bodyguard Bumpers, BodyguardBumpers.com, Truck Accessories, Grant and Kelly Mellicote. They have built an unbelievable brand across this country. Front bumpers, rear bumpers, replacement sidesteps, Chevy, GMC, Ford, Dodge, Ram, and all of your Jeep front and rear bumpers and accessories. And we know how you Jeep owners are. You guys like to accessorize. You're like a chick in a mall, always accessorizing. So there you have it. Bodyguard bumpers in Paris, Texas. That's where we've been hanging out the last couple days. We were invited down here by the Mellicote family, part of the Mellicote family, other than the bodyguard bumpers and badge cap caps, which is you'll see on the, the Foul Life TV show as well as on our website. Some of the other brothers, I'm going to name them, Jordan, Matt, not Clay, but Wes, Jordan, and Matt have Mellicote Waterfowl, and that's who we are talking today. We have Jordan, one of the owners of Mellicote Waterfowl, and we have two of his lead guides. We have Brent, B-R-E-N-T. What's your last name, Brent? Norwood. Brent Norwood, and we have Mr. Heath, a firefighter. What's your last name, Heath? Humphrey. Heath Humphrey, double H's. And then we have Jordan Mellicote, who is the owner and founder of Mellicote Farms. And we also have, which is at MF Waterfowl on Instagram and Facebook. And then we have my young buddy, young at heart buddy. You guys have heard his voice here before on The Foul Life and This Life Ain't For Everybody and seen this fine specimen of a young man on episodes of The Foul Life. We're in South Dakota. We've been in Idaho. We've been in North Dakota. He's hunted Ohio, o- o- Ohio Oklahoma. He's hunted with me in quite a few places. Mr. Les Nesbitt. What's up, Les? Not much, Jed. Thank you for the really kind introduction. Pretty kind, huh? Compared yeah. to what you're used to hearing <laughs> Compared coming to what voice. you usually say when we're off the air. Yeah, and we've been talking about coming to, on another trip together this year, and you're a member of one of the, the best hunting club in Nevada, one of the top hunting clubs historically in the West United States, which is weird to say in the state of Nevada, but the Canvas Back Gun Club was founded in the late 1890s, yeah, early in, 1900s. In that, in that time frame, I don't really remember when we had the first meeting, but I, I was probably there. And we live in the high desert. We live in the Sierras, the Sierra Basin. We live in a place where drought is plentiful, and we, ha- and we live in a place where people don't really think of ducks, but we do get ducks. Sometimes we have 90 to 150,000 thousand ducks puddle ducks mixed in with some divers in that area but you had called me and said we just don't have a lot of ducks are you uh is that invite to texas still open and then how do i say no to that when you put me on the spot that's true that's true uh, well, the the duck population was high that they just weren't moving it was hot and uh um they just weren't weren't working very well and I listened to my son and some of my friends complaining about it, and I thought, well, I, I think I know a better place. And the heck with them, I'll go 
with my friend. So yesterday and today so far, are you happy with what you've seen with the, the ducks down here? Absolutely. Some of it was a little different, the timber. I've only hunted in the timber one time that I recall. Uh, and you guys explained to me this wasn't really timber. You've been to Arkansas. Yes. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not yeah. what you would yeah. consider true green timber. It is green timber, right? Yes, sir. But it's not the, the stand-up trees where you get out and kick the water, which I think you could in there. You probably could get in there and do that. But we were in a sit-down blind. Yeah. But they were still coming into that hole, acorns. They were coming in there to loaf in the middle of the day, and it was as pretty as heck. I mean, The, the aesthetics of the whole thing, there was, there was a gorgeous tree out in front of us. And, and yeah. just the whole thing with the sunrises is very hard to describe. It is in Texas. Yeah. And what about today's hunting that little corn patch? You like that? It it was. We we uh, saw lots of ducks coming in early this sprig. morning. Lots, and then the sprig started. And the sprig being sprig are very difficult. Piss me off. You, know, you you put out two hundred decoys to shoot one sprig is you know it's a lot of work. For yeah, it. I was whistling and <laughs> feed chatter and yeah. and doing whatever I thought could work and nothing would work. And then these guys are like, wow. <laughs> It's pretty <laughs> shitty. <laughs> Not really that good on the duck calls. Why did we invite him? Why did we invite him? So what do you think on that, Jordan? Today you would ask me, why do you think those ducks aren't working in here? I honestly think this is my opinion of sprig is two things. One, they're very leery in the first place. They're not workable like a mallard duck that's why i love hunting mallards and i'm not saying mallards are easy they just love to communicate they love to respond and they love to you know work the wind work the call work the spread and sprig will do that to a certain extent one i don't really know the vocabulary of a pintail i just whistle and you do the little hits and the grunts and all the stuff that you hear them do and twirl the tongue and all everything that a whistle can do but i don't know the vocabulary or the jargon of a pintail breed so that one i think hinders you i think you can make the sounds and i think once in a while they'll work in but today the closest sprig we shot has caught us by surprise when we weren't calling which is usually the case but here's the reason I think that they don't work. One, I think in California, when we kill sprig tight, there's water on both sides of the check, both sides of the, you know, there's a, bl- a pit blind in a check with a lot of whiteout. We have swan decoys. We have canvas back decoys. We have snow goose floaters. We have speckle bellies that have a little bit of white on, but then we have a lot of sprig decoys in those holes. We have a lot of sprig full bodies on the levee. So I think it's one thing for them to work into a backdrop that's dead. You guys might see them do it once in a while, but I would guess that your average shot on a sprig is probably 35 yards most of the time. Yes, sir. And I think that the other thing is the color. Is I just named them both. Water on both sides of you for comfort and comfort confidence and two i would just two weeks ago in california we were decoying sprig like they were pissing us off because we killed our one sprig in a hurry and then we're done and they just sat there and teased this working right into decoy range right into shooting range and they were all landing in white decoys so i think from the air an aerial i think that a lot of mallards and coots aren't going to attract sprig like they'll attract widgeon and mallards i think that swans and a lot of white are going to attract more sprig i just think it's a comfort thing with them have you seen that where you hunt them Absolutely, especially the swan tags, because we're allowed swans in Nevada, one, yeah. one swan a year or two. But uh, you put those out as, I guess you would call it a confidence-type decoy. decoy. Yeah. And they're large, and so they can see them from quite a distance. And it's not like you're highballing a, uh, a sprig in like you maybe would a mallard. But that I think that visual is very important for, for the sprig. I do, too. I think they're a more visual duck than an audio duck. And I think that today or that type of setup is, I think in the hole we hunted yesterday, you probably kill them a lot closer than you would kill them in that hole we were today. 
Oh, for sure. You kind of got them pinched down a lot more than that, you know, 10-acre slew like we were hunting this morning. Do you guys kill a lot of sprig in those timber holes? Uh, for the majority, it's mostly mallards and Because uh, sprig don't even want to go in those, right? No, sir. They We'd kill a handful, them. but, you know, not too many. So on that hole today, that's a flooded cornhole in Texas. Is Has there always been flooded corn in Texas, or is that something new to this area over the last maybe five years or so? <sighs> you know, I don't know for the whole state of Texas, but for northeast Texas, I think we're about the first ones to incorporate it in our area. And you hear a lot about flooded corn in America. You you do. You hear like, man, flooded corn, it's holding the migration, it's holding ducks up. But in your head right now, you're 79 years old. You guys are in your 30s, 40s, whatever y'all are in, 20s. I'm in my 40s. There is not a lot of flooded corn hunting in America. Now, there are certain places that people have designed places like y'all have that have flooded corn. But that's you when you go to North Dakota, you'll see some flooded corn when a big storm hits, but you don't see a lot of cultivated flooded corn. When you go to Montana, you see dry corn, and when the heavy rain or good snow melts, you see some flooded corn. But you don't there's not a lot of flooded corn hunting. Idaho is probably the top state in the West with flooded corn. And then I would say from there you have you have a lot of flooded corn in northern Missouri. And I think you have flooded corn in Kansas and Nebraska. And a little bit in Oklahoma, a tiny, tiny bit in Oklahoma, if any. I don't know of any in Oklahoma off the top of my head. It's mainly peanuts and wheat there. But then this part of Texas, I've seen it. But you don't, I hunt, I hunt a lot of places in Canada and America, Argentina. You don't see a lot of flooded corn. So I think that people have this misnomer like, man, there's just ducks being killed every day and tons of flooded corn. And I don't think that it's, I don't think that that's true, but somebody could call me out on that and test me my hypothesis and say, you're dead wrong. There's flooded corn in Minnesota. It's all over Ohio. And there is some flooded corn in Ohio. There is some flooded corn in Minnesota, but it's not prevalent like people think it is. I, I would gather that, or I would probably say that if you took statistics of how much corn, first of all, is grown in the United States, and then how much flooded corn is in the United States, the number would be minuscule compared to what duck hunters think it is, I bet. The only other flooded corn I hunted with any amount of time was in Idaho. Uh, And hunting flooded corn is just, it's unbelievable when it's, when it's on. It's, it's hard to beat. It's, so let's it's, talk about that for a second, that he said it's unbelievable, but there's also this whole mindset that is it a traditional and practical farming practice? Is it a traditional and ethical farming practice to flood corn? And that's the question at hand that I'm, I'm uh, not spooked of it, but I'm always questioning it because what is manipulation? And you guys got to think about this when you're doing, when you're doing your, your blinds and what you're doing, what is manipulation? What is baiting? What is what you called today? What was it called? Instead of baiting, you call it what? Indicator. Indicator. (laughs) Indicates where they're going to be the next day. Yeah, kind of like deer indicator. So what I'm saying is like in California, people say, well, it's the same as flooded rice. No, it's not. Flooded rice is a verified normal traditional farming practice because they have no means of burning the rice. They will not burn rice off their fields anymore. So to decompose the earth and the ground, they flood it. That has opened up a huge revenue stream for landowners of farmers being able to rent out and lease out for it's a 107 day or 105 day season out there. They're making money off of that 
flooded rice now for duck hunters to be guided on by outfitters all over California, whether you're in the Sacramento Delta, the Butte Sink, Chico, Durham, that whole area where the duck country is, there's a lot of flooded rice. Is flooded corn a traditional farming practice? Why would you flood corn as a farmer? You're a farmer. Are you a farmer? Why would you flood corn as a farmer to, to, to make, is it do anything for the crop or the ground? Just good for duck hunting. That's all I know. <laughs> and that's the thing is that you you think about flooded corn is what are we really what are we really saying is that if this is legal, let's do it. It is legal federally to be able to flood corn and hunt over it. But then you also have to look at and and you always have to keep an open mind. What is the manipulation of that corn? Do you drive through it and you knock off a stalk? That's considered manipulation as far as I can tell. So you always want to be real careful. I think of of the probability or the, the opportunity or the odds of something being manipulated and making sure you're doing things right. A hundred percent of the time, because I get spooked a little bit when you're in that stuff, because you're like, God dang, man, this is like crack. Right. It's like crack. Flooded corn is like freaking crack. Corn to a white-tailed deer is crack. Dry corn to a mallard duck in North Dakota or Western Minnesota is crack. Just like dry peas in Saskatchewan. You kill ducks like they're going out of style up there and geese. So I have always looked at it like, man, it's it's cool. I like doing it. But I've been on flooded corn hunts where you sit there and went, man, I don't, I'm not a good duck hunter at all. I mean, you don't now. You can monkey could kill these things, right? <laughs> and, that, and that's where I'm always kind of watching the the teeter-totter of the argument in america what's flooded corn is it right is it going to go away someday there's that argument too like will it go away will these people that are manicuring these lands with flooded corn will they be prevented or inhibited from doing this in the future because is it considered a practical ethical and normal historic farming practice i don't know if it is you can't tell me why you would flood corn as a farmer well, the way I look at it is, and it's the same thing as somebody planting food plots for deer. Why do you plant food plots for deer? Right. That's a, but that's we're talking about federal migratory game laws as opposed to a statewide you know, deer deal. I understand what you're saying, and there's a good argument behind that. All I'm simply saying is now when you start dealing federally with the federal government and the, and the state-level game wardens or the state-level law enforcement, there's, it's legal. You can do it. You, there's tons of ducks killed over flooded corn every day. But in the back of my mind, I'm always saying, I wonder if this is going to run out. I wonder if this is going to be stopped in our country because of the ability of flooded corn to attract and hold and keep ducks in an area for a very long time. There's a lot of arguments in Louisiana and Arkansas. What happened to the ducks? Where's our duck seasons go? Even though Arkansas was loaded up early this year and a lot of ducks will move back north when a storm storm subsides or, you know, the snow line moves or whatever. If there's food around, they're going to stay. If there's a two feet of snow on the ground, they're probably going to leave. If there's five inches of snow on the ground and open water, mallard ducks will find a way to stay around. So with that flooded corn and you have ice eaters and aerators and the ability to keep it open, it's like, are, is flooded corn changing the migration in certain areas? Do Arkansas get the ducks they used to? Does Louisiana? The people down there would say no. So when I was in that flooded corn today, it was bringing back memories and all these things and these forums I sit on and these, uh, you know, going to speak at these different things and hearing different people speak on the topic of waterfowl hunting over flooded corn, especially ducks. We didn't see a goose today, which blows my mind. We talked about that a little bit yesterday. I can't believe there's no, you, you waterfowl hunt in a place so rich in waterfowl uh, species. And we didn't see a snow goose, a speckle belly goose, a Canada lesser, Canada greater, nothing in two days. 
and you're in duck country, you would think that you would see some type of goose just get off. Get, I mean, there's a ton of geese just right in Oklahoma. How far are we from Oklahoma? About 10 miles. 10 miles. You go there and there's lesser Canada's and specks everywhere in Oklahoma and snows, right? I've seen them everywhere up yes, there. Yes, sir. So anyway, we'll get off the topic. I was just, when I was in that corner today, I was like, I wonder if this is going to last. Because I, I feel like that if you have flooded corn where you guys have it, and you have the ability to do what you guys are doing on your family's property, and you have that land locked, and you have the ability to do what you're doing with flooded corn, I'm just like, this is an unbelievable place to duck hunt. Because they are going to hold ducks. The weather doesn't get too terribly cold, or does it here? No, you'll get maybe three days in the whole duck season. It gets in maybe the teens. You know, a lot of 35-degree weather. 35 degree weather you're not going to get a deep freeze a lot of the time though no sir we didn't we didn't man. run an ice hitter all man, season man. last year you talk about duck heaven like oh. when i was sitting in that blind today less i was like you heard me say it many times i'm like this is freaking awesome like that's those blue skies and looking up and seeing ducks descend from a mile high as black dots and be in your face you know yeah. a minute later and they were dropping straight down yeah they're just coming straight down it's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable ability or opportunity to see that and to see that many puddle ducks work. We saw the occasional teal today, which is a puddle duck. We saw a ringneck today. Or we saw Gadwall, Gadwall today, Pintail yeah. today, Widgeon today, Teal today, Mallards today. So we saw a good mixed bag species of ducks, just like we did yesterday. But I just kept sitting back and calling and going, like, I don't need to kill a lot of, you know how I am. I don't call the shot very, there was a lot of ducks we could have killed today. And I'm sure y'all were cussing me. <laughs> like, what in the f- is going on? Were you Heath? Were you like, are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because a guide, you're like, kill them, right? Oh, yeah. Get your guy, get your clients their shots. Today, I could tell you guys were just like, what is going on? I mean, I just, I'm, I'm infamous for that huh remember in north dakota when we were laying in that cornfield with benelli i had benelli i had the director of marketing uh director of sales jp fisher and the director of product development george thompson in north dakota with me we literally had five to six hundred mallards landing on us a couple different times they were landing on the foot bags of the power hunter blinds and i heard george thompson say on camera i have the audio he says i am going to effing kill chad Because they're literally walking all around him. I'm just letting these big groups of mallards swarm in and they're just, they're all over us. We kill them, but they, I don't want to kill, kill every duck that comes in range. I want to get some beauty, you know? So they were, remember George, how pissed off he was at me? I had a year and a half old dog. It was his first basically hunt. He'd been in training for a lot. And I had him in a dog hide and I, I thought he was going to have a hard day. He's a big dog, and that dog hide was just shaking. And I'm sitting there holding him back with the lead rope and kind of wondering, oh, well, when are we going to do this? They're just saying if it flies, it dies. And more with Chad, it's more if it walks in, we'll shoot. <laughs> That's for sure. It's a cool experience. You know, everybody needs to go on a hunt like that. I tell you what, after starting, I've been filming for a while now with Freddie, with DU, with the Water Dog, with Avery. And then on our own now since 2008, and I think it makes you a way better duck hunter, more patient, and it lets you see the majesty of what ducks do. It really does. Like coyote filming, there's a lot of coyote hunters that spend tons of money on what? A high, a a 22250 with a bull barrel or some kind of lighter rifle maybe. Scope and optics, sling. They, they reload all their own bullets. They know all the ballistics. They go out. They're long-distance shooters, and they love killing a coyote at 600 yards. The vitals on a coyote are that big. The chances of you killing it, unless you're a dead-on marksman, 
that has tons of practice and knows windage and drop and, and, and gravity and everything that goes into ballistics of a bullet. On top of that, I've always asked myself, what fun is that? What fun is that? It's it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's a to, challenge. It's a challenge to hit them. It's yeah. not a challenge to shoot at them. No. And it's not a challenge to get them at six hundred yards. And you're challenging yourself. You but know. you could do that on a target. You could do that on a steel plate. But I, I guess you just don't. Same get thing the, with the same thing with the, the duck. At, same thing with the duck at fifty five yards. What is the feeling you guys get to see a duck fall out of the air at fifty five yards at an overhead passing shot? Again, I'm just talking smack here because I get I get. No enjoyment out of it, and nobody could ever tell me that there is enjoyment out of telling yourself that you can make that shot. It's like the stock on a big game animal. Um, with modern rifles, three, four hundred yards is is a, just a chip shot anymore. With good rifles and practice, but the whole the, the the exciting part about it is the stock and how it's it's really exciting to shoot one at forty, fifty yards, or thirty yards, or twenty yards if you can maneuver yourself into it, and that becomes the challenge not the and right. i like to shoot long distance but i i also um i like i've killed elk at 15 20 feet yeah you know archery hunting or rifle yeah. hunting to get either one i've seen bull elks come to a call and 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 bugle at nine feet or, yeah, 10 I've feet had... not 10 yards like right there to where you think you're going to get killed and i think that that is where i'm going with this is when i made that coyote comment is that when we started filming coyote hunts we started killing 70 to 80 percent of our coyotes with a shotgun at 10 yards 10 feet like right there like triples just boom 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 i mean clay's got a triple on film of tipping coyotes over that 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 are on the call jumping over sagebrush to get to our call and that to me was like man if we weren't filming we'd probably be settling for that 500-yard shot. That's not a chip shot on a coyote. I don't care no, what anybody no, says. That's a good opportunity to cripple. Don't care what your attitude on, on coyotes are. The, the number one attitude to have on a coyote is what? Ultimate respect. He is the baddest-ass, most adaptable hunting animal on the planet. He is probably in the top eight of hunting success out of any predator. The wild dog of Africa is number one. Piranhas, I believe, are number two. Coyote's success rate isn't as high as you do, but neither is a wild lion or a mountain lion, a cougar, that we have a ton of yeah. where we live. A coyote is a badass animal, right? So we respect them. So I don't I don't want to see him crippled. I don't want to see a coyote suffer. That's just my idea. What Do you want to see an animal suffer? If you're a true sportsman, you want to dispatch it quick right is that am i am i onto something there with the coyote jordan no sir you want that clean that clean ethical kill every time and do you think that a coyote deserves the same clean ethical kill as any other animal yes sir do you have a lot of friends brent that would say the words f a coyote kill every coyote you see oh no doubt that's what they say right heath is that what they say like you have a rifle in your truck in texas i'm not saying don't kill them that's not what i'm saying right i'm saying that don't cripple them don't just shoot at them. I'm not saying don't just shoot at them to kill them because predator management needs to be practiced 100%. But I think that I think that crippling any animal is not good. I think that karma is a bitch. And I think that there's a right way to kill a coyote. And I'm not saying that killing them at 700 yards isn't the right way because I know plenty of guys that can do it consistently. And that falls right back to waterfowl. You know, you shoot a 55-yard uh, or 40-yard duck and you cripple him up. Uh, and unless you have some kind of an outstanding dog that can do it time after time, you're going to lose a lot of those. They're going to divers and uh, they're going to dive down and get into the corn. And especially in deep water, it's hard for a dog to, to find them. And it's something we said for letting them come into Chad range. 
Absolutely. Well, there's in corn, flooded corn there. It's historically famous or infamous for a lot of cripples getting away mm-hmm. because they get in those rows. Visually, the dog can't see him. The hunter loses or the handler on his cast loses vision and sight of that crippled duck. The next thing you know, that mallard's diving under the water. We saw today. By the way, today's dog work was exceptional. It was. It was a very nice exceptional. Dog. Now, I know that I misnamed your dog a bunch, but I was just <laughs> kidding for camera. But Drifter is a hell of a lab and he handles the whistle and his cast very good so we'll get on to waterfowl hunting and get off i'm not on a soapbox about coyote hunting i'm just simply my point was is that when we started filming and letting a coyote hunt you up it's amazing what they will do it's amazing what you can get them to do if you just stay patient and don't let them get downwind and judge your wind the right way and understand your 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 vantage point i don't know if y'all have a lot of experience calling coyotes and it's real flat here we we live in more mountainous country to where we can get up above them and see for a long distance of of them coming at us and when we learned to film them and get them tight it was amazing how better our hunting skills improved how much they improved and with duck hunting it's the same thing and i'm not saying that any that i'm any better of a duck hunter because i'm average at best than a lot of things in duck hunting i truly am i'm just saying that filming them has given me the ability to know that they will hunt you up they will finish if you not if you don't kill them at 30 yards and you let them pass one more time who cares if you don't get them that's always been my attitude but i'd rather get them get them like get them get them and kill them just smoke them right you're not not that you can't kill a duck dead at 50 yards you definitely can but would you rather have them back flapping over the decoys or would you rather have them being killed at 40 yards? Now, again, weather, different days, cloud cover, it's all going to depict that. As a guide, it's a totally different mentality. But that's where we were going with that conversation is sitting in that blind today. You guys are probably, mother, you know what, me, your guys' initials of your company, MF, <laughs> um, are probably a little bit, were you mad when we left, Heath? You, you still no. look a little mad. <clears throat> no. Not mad at all. You know, what we saw this morning, those mallards, those sprigs, those uh, just a few widgeon was absolutely phenomenal. You know, they come in 20 yards, orange feet down. Um, sun shining on them. Sun shining on them. Wings late, cupped. Later on. And uh, just a real magnificent sight to see that to see that bird come in, look for your call, see the decoys, and finish real tight. That's just, uh, you know, that's that's why we put our waders on every morning and, and go do it. What's your specialty with MF, Heath? What is your, you have a lifelong passionate obsession for waterfowling. You grew up with these guys. You said, heck, I'm a deer hunter, but I'll go help some guide some duck hunts. Does it eat you up every day? You're a firefighter by profession, yes, sir. by day, and then your 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 weekend gig or whatever, or because firefighters have the best schedules in the world. Yeah. Work 24, take 48 off. Yep, 24 on 48 off. Um, you know, I've just really had a real desire for waterfowling um i've chased them all across starting in canada coming all the way back to texas um we like to stop in nebraska on the way back um but just really really have had a desire my entire life for chasing and killing waterfowl you're going you're going to shake your head but i've i've never killed a deer in my entire so life so that's what i was just going to ask you is in texas you i just got a picture today from my buddy from canada killed a big deer in texas and every time you hear that you're like oh it's probably high fence and a lot of texas like most of texas deer hunting is high fence but it's a lot of a lot of land but so ducks 
deer don't do it for you at all like no. a duck would. So do you have deer hunter friends like I do that are like, really, a little duck, that turns you on? I'm like, yeah, I've never seen a mule deer that made me jump out of my truck and go, oh, my God. But I've been on the dirt road and slammed on my brakes and forgot to put it in park before I jump out to see mallards pitching into a hole. Absolutely. I, I get somebody saying that every, every, every week, every two weeks. You know, why, why do you go chase a duck? Anybody can kill those, you know. Why don't you why don't you enjoy deer hunting? But it's just always been something that's really fascinated me. Uh, anything from not only waterfowl, but anything on the wing, whether it's pheasant, dove, quail, um, just have always really loved the, the shotgunning sport. You know, even even went into competitive trap and skeet shooting for about four years and, and traveled all over the world, went to Sparta, Illinois, world trap shooting, um that was that was a lot of fun so off season you can catch me at the skeet and trap club just so when you say shotgunning sports and i know you're proficient with a shotgun with all of your experience and history but de quail and chucker or, or chucker prior there might be some in west texas but there's probably some pin raised broods but pheasant are they upland variety did they get you going like a mallard duck would not quite as much just because there's not the abundance of upland so do you, birds do around you, here is the upland turn on the pointing dogs and them working together on Pro- a point probably more that yeah the dog work and the older i get the more i enjoy the dog work um i've got three personal dogs labradors that i enjoy hunting over and and watching their success and watching their growth and and putting everything together and becoming a uh premier retriever for this outfit so why are you a premier guide for mf what do you have what talents do you bestow that i would be like damn this dude is a duck killer are you a good scouter are you a good caller do you run a good dog are you good at finding a good hide and and blinding up and concealment are you a guy that can read a map and get permission if need be you don't have to do with the malicotes but you know when you're in canada or nebraska knocking on doors are you a guy that can judge a field and know where to set up are you a master decoy spreads what would you say like if you were sitting down in an interview with jordan and his brothers be like here's why you should hire me three words whatever it takes Ooh, he's die hard. I like that. Whatever answer. it takes, uh, and, I, and I'm not going to say that I'm a premier guide by no means. But um, when I wake up in the morning, it's to it's to be serious. And on the out, outfitting side, it's to give your clients the best experience they can they can have. So you know they're they're paying for the for the end result. They're paying for a good time. They're paying for the prize for the trophy. You know, um, you know. Just think about a kid seeing those big green heads come in this morning boots on green heads looking and then they can mount their first duck or something like that 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 that's also something that i would really say that i take pride in yeah yeah I want to, before we go to Brent, I want to talk to Brent about his specialties. I want to talk to Les about, he's in the North American Hall of Fame for killing every species of big game in the, in North America. 29 species? Yes. Your last one was the stone sheep. That was you a just, stone sheep, yes. Before that was a desert sheep at 11,700 feet at yep. 78 years old. But anyway, we'll get to that in a second because I know that a mallard duck turns you on way more than a freaking sheep. Freaking sheep. Freaking curls. <laughs> How big is he? How 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 long is this? How many inches is it? He's 163 inches. <laughs> Sit around at camp, talk about. I love I love sheep hunters. As a guide, as an outfitter, 
you guys need to think about this. And if people hear this and go, oh, there he goes again, I'm just telling you this. Think about this from now on, uh, whatever it takes analogy, I get it. But always remember the, the responsibility that you guys have as an outfitter, as a guide to the clients and to the well-being and the... Uh, the respect of the birds and the respect, and I'm not telling you guys how to do your job. I'm just simply saying that get, you saw me handing out duck straps in the morning. Okay. We, sh- you, each person has their own strap. And when you leave that field, you got tag them birds, follow me. And I know you guys might do this, but it's, it's becoming more and more of a deal to where you jump in the truck, you got your birds in the back, all of them are strapped up, they're on six different straps, but none of them are tagged. You got three guys in this truck, four guys are following you in another truck, illegal. So according to the law and the way that I read it, that's illegal. You got to leave the field with your birds, right? Correct. Keith, yes. and you have to have them tagged. And I don't know what the Texas law is, but I'm talking about right now of instituting that. Not that you don't, I don't know what you do. I'm just saying that you might not following this, be following the same practices that you do normally when we're in town, because we're a little bit different. We're not paying clients, but I would just say that the most, with whatever it takes theory, which I love as a guide, you got to have those kind of guides. All guides should be like that, but they have to be whatever it takes with careful right with the pieces of the puzzle being put together because it's so easy for something to go wrong in ethics or legalities or the number one thing is what safety safety it's so easy to literally ruin ruin a hunting career or somebody's career by a mistake and that's what i'm always looking at now and i'm in my early 40s of being able to go Man, at 20, if, and I didn't start duck hunting until I was 27, so I got a really late start in duck hunting. But I remember the days where you're like, man, we got to stack them up. Let's get a pile pick, you know, these pile picks. Well, now they're saying that a pile pick is you got to make sure that you have the people that own those, that are in possession of those ducks standing behind their ducks in that picture. And I'm like, it's so crazy to me to hear it, that that you got to do it. Because you look at different prolific if you go online right now or on social media and look at either e- even conservation organizations and the pictures they post, that's a pile pick with no resemblance of, well, wh- whose ducks are what. So I guess it's up to the game warden, whether it's a federal agent or if it's a state level, you got to be careful and make sure that because the number one thing about duck hunting, not the number one thing, but a lot of times you see this, what a hunt, stack them up. Let's go to the cafe and get some biscuits and gravy. And that's kosher. That's what every duck hunter wants. Let's go get a red beer. Let's go back to the lodge and play a game of pool while he's cooking. Let's get a little food and then a nap and then a scout. But it's that one that one mistake that happens that that it, everybody overlooks because it's always raw, raw. Yeah, let's get him. Let's kill him. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's stack him up. Let's go clean it. Whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? You got to leave a wing on if they're from out of state. If they're transporting those birds across state lines, or even if they're transporting them back to Dallas, I don't know what the law is on that. But until you get back to your abode as a duck hunter, you are legally supposed to be able to identify what birds you have in your possession. So again, I'm getting off on a tangent is that I want you guys to be successful because the setup you have here, you got guides with the right attitude, you have unbelievable properties and you have an unbelievable amount of wild ducks. And what the thing that I love about this outfit less is that it's 100% duck hunting over water, over floater rigs. Yes, it is. You know, and, and, and being a retriever guy, you always like, 
to see water underneath your dog instead of corn, just open cornfields. There's just something about a retriever in water is what it's supposed to be. Les has a son that is one of the, if not the best retriever trainer in the country, amateur. He's a very successful construction guy that owns Les's original company, Nesbit. His son is a judge on AKC, UKC. That He was just judged the Nationals in Corning, California. He has a dog on the Derby list right now. He's got qual. He's got... Mm-hmm. Won the Nationals. He's won the Nationals with the dog. He is a badass dog trainer. So Les really knows his way around dogs. He's sold some high-caliber dogs. He's had offers on dogs that, that you would shake your head out. Well, it was a lady in California that made you an offer on a big dog? It was... Well, I made my son I, and... And uh, the prices had gone down. One of the ladies that was buying big dogs had paid up to four hundred thousand for a dog. Four hundred thousand. They offered my for son one hundred and thirty thousand, and he sold numerous dogs at twenty-five to thirty. Twenty-five to thirty. Yeah. The, the, so Les is very qualified to talk about dogs, and that's what we're going to go into with with Drifter and and Haggard because they were an awesome team today. But that's all I'm saying is that you guys have it so good, and with all of this talk about feds and undercovers and and all of the things that can go wrong i i look at it too i'm like hey we're out there we try to do things right people know where we're at we don't hide where we're at we want to do things right you guys saw us hunting today we don't shoot every duck we don't care about a limit you didn't hear one person in our crew bitch that we don't kill a limit and i very rarely kill a limit i don't maybe once you've been with me on a limit hunt i don't get all i don't get my panties in a wad over not stacking them up the picture we took yesterday was with four or five Five limits out of seven. It's a beautiful picture. If anybody looks at that picture and counts the ducks and goes, there's not enough ducks there. You know, you're just like, well, you're an idiot. Look at the beauty in this picture. Look at the camaraderie. Look at the new friendships. I'm just saying that I've been around it enough to know that there's a right way to do things. And the number one reason people don't is one excitement and they get out they get away from it and two is laziness they get tired they know they got to go scout they know they got to get these birds back and get them clean they got to get the four-wheeler sprayed off they got to clean the cab of their truck because they got to pick somebody up whatever it is then the next thing you know mistakes are happening and there's a lot of mistakes that can potentially be made in the waterfowl world more so than probably any other hunting i don't know if that's the a true statement, but I'm sure it's one of them. There's a lot of identification. There's a lot of limits when you can shoot, when you can't shoot, how many sprig can you kill? How many hen mallards can you kill? Is that a ring neck or is that a canvas back hen? What, what are we doing? You got it. There's a lot that can go wrong, right? Yeah, it is. And I think one of the major differences is, uh, um, I'm going to use sheep, for example, and in some areas it has to be a certain age or it has to be a certain score. But, uh, when you're sheep hunting, uh, or any other big game that has a, 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 a requirement on size. You're looking through a spotting scope, sometimes as much as a mile away, and you're determined then, okay, he's not legal. And and you might be looking at him for an hour or two. But when you're hunting ducks, you ha- it has to be instantaneous. What is it? Is that a hand or a drake? 100%. You know? And then if you're so, killing them when the sun's not all the way up. Yeah. They're... Uh, there's not many people that can tell a drake mallard from a hen mallard in just visual and nope. in, in low light. You might hear him grunt and know, hey, that's a single drake, kill him. Again, it's not pretty. It's a black silhouette. How bad do you want a duck? You hungry? Kill it. Eat it. Yeah. But again, I, maybe it, maybe that's the wrong attitude. But I think that with everything that can go wrong on a duck hunt, how fast could you guys be over a pintail limit if a group of seven 
seven guys stands up and shoots into a group of 30 sprig and it's a bunch of dudes from dallas that are freaking just gung-ho happy as shit and fired up don't get to see that very often the next thing you know you're sitting there with nine sprig down and you're a guide you're not carrying a gun or shooting and some guide services allow their guides to shoot and carry a gun for cripples some of them allow to kill but one of the laws that uh that they talk about a lot is hey we let our clients shoot our limits no way stupid as shit right that's the dumbest thing you got four birds to fill out of a six bird a six man group you got four birds left to kill right not everybody stands up and shoots on the next group you pick two and the rest and if you kill three you're done you don't need to have a chance of of going over the limit on the next one there's just a lot of things that go into guiding and i'm not telling you guys anything that you don't but i would just start and i'm not saying that you're not just this is a special freaking place this is a family locked waterfowl company with ground that's unlimited with access that's unlimited with a a population of wild ducks that's awesome the right kind of ducks we're not shooting at a bunch of bufflehead here on a river which more power to you if you love shooting bufflehead we're getting to kill mallards and sprig and widgeon working the call i just want you guys that's where i'm coming from is like do it right because there is a lot of scrutiny going on right now in waterfowl hunting across this country with outfitters, with people that have, you know, that are out there, they watch us, they watch us all. I want to be an advocate and a spokesperson and an ambassador for doing it right. What is party hunting? What is party hunting? You guys know what party hunting is? They're saying that, hey, it's party. Well, let me tell you something. If duck hunters had to go into the woods by themselves and not two or three or four or five, six buddies shooting at the same time, nobody would duck hunt. You want to kill the sport? Do you want people to never want to go? Yeah, deer hunters sit there. They can't talk when you're deer hunting. If a deer hears you, they're gone. If they smell you, they're gone. If they smell three guys, they're really gone. Duck hunting is a camaraderie sport, cooking biscuits and gravying the blind, talking smack, you know, ribbing your buddies, telling stories, right? It's a camaraderie sport. It's an experience. It's a lifestyle. You want to kill it, then try to keep coming at people about, well, that's party hunting. You guys all stood up. Can you tell me which birds you shot? Well, I can tell you which birds I'm claiming because I'm not over my limit. They're on my strap with my name on my tag. Well, did you stand up and shoot when you already had seven birds on your limit or a six bird limit in Colorado or in Texas? No, I didn't, sir. I stayed down. My, my strap is full. I stayed down, right? There's all of this stuff that's under scrutiny right now. Like what is party hunting? We party hunted today. Several times, five or six guys shot into a flock of ducks and killed several ducks. The dog brings them back. We distribute them through the blind. But there's no way in hell that any of us could say, I killed that bird right there. Oh, well, maybe he's way off the far right and you know you smoked him. That happens. But is there a way to tell when you shoot into a group of ducks and the BBs are flying and you, you multiply the amount of BBs in each shell that's coming out of that gun and it's going through that flock? You can't tell me which birds that you killed or I killed. That's under scrutiny. That's part of duck hunting. That happens. But it's our job to do the rest of it right. Separate them, tag them, strap them. Not everybody shoots on the last group. You know what I'm saying, Les? You've been around a lot of game yeah. wardens. You know, and that's true. And, and I've been in situations where game wardens would carry a gun around, empty gun, to come in and, in the public areas, uh, uh, Toulon, and et cetera. And they'd walk the swamps and walk up like a duck cutter and, and get talking with you. But they're, you know, then they'll pull out their badge. So Trying you to better, get you. You better make sure you're doing everything correct. So I found it just easier for me to yell, I got them. And claim them all, and then I'm done. But then you're done in the first four minutes. <laughs> That's true. But there, there, you can joke about it, and I appreciate the 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 humor side of duck hunting. But there's a lot of scrutiny right now, and when you're getting in this game as a twenty something, you're twenty six. Yes, sir. 
you're three years younger than me. And, um, and, and, and you've aged very well. <laughs> thank you. It's one of those things that where, why F it up, man? Man, it's not worth it. I mean, you go duck hunting with your buddies, you want to have a good time, pump the brakes a little bit, you know, be 100% legal. Just have a good time. Yeah, and you guys, you guys care about this company, your family name, the brand. You guys, you got your dad's name riding on this, your mom's name. There's just a, you got you guys are flying the flag. You guys got the responsibility now to make sure that this brand is carried out because this is a. I, I've been around a lot of, of outfitters. I've been around a lot of different camps and lodges. This is a special deal to where when I ask a question, I'm getting the answers that I'm getting about the properties and the access and the farming and the equipment that you have access to and the, and the amount of ducks and the lodging like this place right here. And now you're getting ready to build a new lodge next year. That doesn't happen all the time. You, a lot of outfitters will pop up, but there's not a lot there's, and we, it, you got to be careful too. You're in the limelight of, of you're going to be on TV. You're going to be on some podcasts. How many outfitters are going to pop up in the area? All of that plays a role is evident in it. Is this going to become a famous destination to where it's going to get worn out? I don't know. How many outfitters are in Oklahoma right now? I bet you there's 30, if not more. Five years ago, 10 years ago, I didn't even hear about hunting ducks in Oklahoma. Barney Califf really brought it to the surface, I think, back on some of those old take videos. But now there's outfitters popping up everywhere. So you got to, you know, you got to be careful what you wish for. You want to be on, you want to be out in the public eye or do you want word of mouth? What do you really want? You just got to be protective of it. You got to be ethical of it. And, but you guys are in a position to where there's not another outfitter that's going to come in and say, Hey, that's my, you know, I'm going to lease that property out from under him and pay him more because we got some oil money under. So there's a lot of Texas oil money in Oklahoma now that's buying up land and, and buying up access to a lot of outfitters and things of that nature. A lot of, lot goes into it. You guys are in a special place. You guys are in a special position. And I'm going to end my little tag the birds and party hunting and stuff because we would be stupid and ignorant as duck hunters at our age. And I'm way younger than most of you besides Jordan, way younger than you, Les. (laughs) We would be dumb to not take all the little steps serious. If you're a businessman and you care about you and your brand, you're not going to go up a ladder and and try to help a firefighter and be, be a, uh, irresponsible and make a mistake. No, you're going to cost your life. It's cost your hunting license for a year, three years, whatever. That's all I'm saying is that everybody looks at it as like, rah, rah, rah. Let's go get biscuits and gravy. Let's get back to take a nap. And then all of a sudden there's mistakes being made. The real outfitters, the real good, ethical, legal, strong advocates of waterfowl hunting and conservation. They checked all those boxes every day. Your guides know that I'd go as far as getting a little laminated holder. That's on your duck strap to every morning. Heath comes in and goes, Oh, I got a group of six. What are their names? Each tag gets a name. Each tag gets a license number. It slides right into that thing. You pull that tag out offer. It says mallards, three pintails, one widgeon, two. And then that, that tag right there goes with their ducks once you clean them and it goes in that package zip locked or hopefully you guys have a vacuum sealer and you're doing all of that and you're and you're making it legit and that tag goes with them with a wing you don't vacuum seal them if you got a wing on you can but i wouldn't you, they can do that after they cut the wing off after they get back to their legal abode so there's there's little there's things that you could be like yeah i'm gonna knock that out that's easy it's easy. Tire gets flat in the morning. I'm in a rush. My dog's sick, whatever. I, you know, I don't have time to get my tags. You always got to make sure that that kind of shit. And as a manager and as the owner, you got to be saying, all right, this is this, this is this again, 
you might be doing all of this. I might be barking up the wrong tree. I'm just simply saying that that's the only thing that could screw with this place. Right. I'm serious. This is unreal. This is unbelievable duck properties that, I mean, I'm looking out right here. That could be Arkansas right there. That could be Arkansas, what I'm looking at right there. Not the actual body of water, but what's behind it. This is special for ducks. I don't see a lot of it. And I was in awe today of, well, yesterday we were in that hole and now look at this hole. And now tomorrow we're going to, did y'all scout today? Yes, sir. We made some passes uh, right after lunch. Are we looking good? We're looking pretty. Setting good for in the morning. Are you sure? Yes, sir. Not jacking with you. We're setting What's good. the wind tomorrow, Setting Heath? pretty. I think it's going to be east at two miles an hour. Oh, lovely. Not much, not much wind. Oh, at least the sun's at our back. It's but. a good thing we got them jargons to talk them in. Speaking yeah. of that, you think they sounded good today, Heath? You're a awesome. duck hunter. Awesome. Did you like it? Loved it. You did? Loved you it. You wouldn't just tell us that? No. Brent? Yeah, it was great. <laughs> What'd you like about it, Brent? Man, y'all can run them calls really good. Can huh? you? Uh, I'm I'm about mediocre when it comes to you. So. See, when I go to Arkansas, I'm mediocre. <laughs> really? Can you well, imagine I, that? I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm good by any means, but you guys think I'm good or Clay's good. You go to Arkansas and you're just like, gosh, dang it, I really, really suck at this. I'm not going to Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, there's eight-year-olds there that you just sit there and want to smack them. They, they're, they're that good. Girls, you're like, good night. <laughs> what's your specialty, Brent? You sit down at that table across from the Malacote brothers, and they're like, all right. They, Man, they all got their pinky rings on. They're petting cats <laughs> from across. They're drinking red wine. <laughs> right, Les? What yep. is your specialty? What you got? Is it Man, the everything goes mentality, too? Uh, or whatever I it takes say, mentality? Yeah, whatever it takes and just hard work. I mean, you got to do what you got to do to get it done. But in the end, I'm, I'm not a numbers guy, though. I mean, everybody's so set on numbers now. And yes, they... Uh, it seems like every hunt you go on, everybody's like, want to get their limit, want to get their limit. But, I mean, that's really not what it's all about. Nope. And it's not. Limits are cool. Yeah, I mean. They're, but they're really just extra work. But as a client, and you're paying money to MF, and you're a guide for MF, then they want to shoot. If that's what you want to do, then, I mean, we're going to get your limit. But, I mean, we're going to try our best to get your limit. But... You know, it doesn't always work. It's hunting. So. It's hunting. And that's, that's, I was telling Jordan and his brothers this is that that's the kind of clientele you want to build. Yeah. You want to build a clientele that, that they, they don't get pissed off if it's not a limit every day. They know you're working hard. They know you got the ability, the access, everything that, for things to go right. Some things might not pan out. There's a lot of duck hunters that book their trips a year in advance. Right, we've had this trip, these dates booked for a yeah. long time. We could have shown up here. Yeah, it could have been, been eighty-five degrees yeah. and nothing. Right, it's yeah. just the the best way to hunt waterfowl is to have an outfitter that says, "Hey, they're here, get here," and you get yeah. on your private jet if you had one. Which do you, Les? No, no, I Close. don't. But think about it: you just jump on a plane and go there when they're there. But not everybody has the ability to do that. Very, very few duck hunters have the ability to go when they're there because they got to work. They got families, they're providers for their family. So you got to, you have to t take the good with the bad as an, as a guide. But I think that there's so many things that a guide can do to be proficient in that entire job scope and job description there's i've ran into some guides to where i'm like you suck and then i've ran into some guides are like man that dude's amazing good with people he's got good wit he's clever he's funny he knows how to keep a conversation he knows how to call he knows how to hide he does he look, gets up and looks at the blind and looks at seeing anything shining he's not afraid to go cut some more brush like you guys did yesterday whatever it takes to get it done but there's some guides out there that don't 
have the ability because they don't see the hunt. They don't picture the hunt, the layout of the hunt and how they're going to paint that picture. And that's what I've always stressed is if you're going to be on a hunt, like, and you have a blank canvas and you start throwing oils at that canvas and you're the artist, you're the hunt leader, you're the guide, you're the owner of MF, you're loyal friends and and employees of MF. How are you going to create this masterpiece on that canvas? It's not just about a duck getting killed and seeing it fall out of the air. It's about me looking at my friends and going, man, we just did it right. You know, we did it right. Today was a good example. I don't know the amount of ducks. we I know we could have killed a lot more if we were shooting hands, but we killed a hundred percent drakes today. Yep. So intentionally. Yeah. So, you know, if you wanted to shoot hens, we probably would have had a lot more birds. Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, we could have killed a lot more drakes today, too, if I wasn't there. Yes. These guys would have mopped yeah. them up. I would have mopped, they would have mopped, I just don't call the shot, but that's my, that's my, the what we do, because I know what we're trying to do with the cameras. Yeah. If we're hunting, I got a buddy hunt, which I very rarely get to do anymore. Yeah, I was going to take some of them shots and kill them at, at 25 or 30 yards, but I like to see them bounce. I like to see them hunt you up. I like to get them in a race and, and let the cameras paint that picture. Otherwise, I mean, do you guys want to just see ducks fall out of the air? How many flocks can you see get waxed on a, a DVD or a TV show, right, Brent? Yeah, you don't, I mean, yeah, you don't want to just shoot them at 70 80 yards because then you're spending half your time looking for cripples and then that goes towards your number i mean yeah so yeah and you're a dog's out there and there's another group trying to work and so i don't know i think that i think that there's a lot to be said about a guide and we're running out of time because y'all smell that yeah i'm ready for it smell that (laughs) lovely behind us right now is a traeger pro 780 it's got cherry wood in it and it's got racks of ribs in it we're going to take those ribs off of the fire in a minute, wrap them in foil, and present them with a little honey, agave, brown sugar, and another ingredient that I will not tell you about. And to the left of that 780 is a Traeger Ranger that has a grill and a searing plate with it. That Ranger will get to 490 degrees. We will reverse sear ribeyes tonight, reverse sear mallard ducks, pintail ducks, and widgeon ducks. The mallards have the skin on them, the fat on them. We're going to have a meal tonight that I've never done before, but I got to thinking last night when we were at the 107, like, I'm going to try this with ducks. And we're going to try it, and we're going to see what happens. Unless I'm going to ask you for your opinion tonight on if it's one of the good duck recipes because you've had a lot of mine. I have. I've eaten. I I didn't realize how good ducks were. Um, they're much better than my my salad over the sink. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to get ready to go. But before we go, I want to touch on Drifter. Drifter is out of which kennel? Uh, he's out of Red River Retrievers. Okay, and Drifter is a black lab. How old is he? He just turned two, I guess, two weeks ago. He's two years old. Does he go to training, back to training in the off season? Yes, sir. I'll uh, hunt him all season. Uh, about February 1, I'll send him back down there with Greg and Lawson, uh, tune him up, uh, run some master passes, hopefully get that title. How far is he? How, how, how many more passes? Does he have any passes yet? No, sir. He hasn't ran any yet. Haggard's got a few. Yes, sir. He's uh, he's master title. Ha- HRCH. Haggard is a HRCH he's- master hunter. And Clay, which you haven't seen he is four out of six on his master passes he Who's just clay clay is wes's dog oh he okay that's the dog that's got a couple more to get yeah four out of six he he's just got, got two more and uh in the rose city 
uh, master test this past weekend. So he's at four. He's got two more to go, and uh, he's he's four for four in in masters. Ooh, that's so hard to do too. Pretty good coming out of a uh, roadie best um, male dog. I think his name is Blues. Got a clue or something like that. So that's the sire of of Clay. Drifter you know, is uh, Cody Cuddling Grade is the sire of of Drifter. I've heard of that dog. Do you know who the bitch is? Uh, it's a bitch out of Texas Troubadour Tubs and Dance Hall Gal. Listen to this dude spit out these names. He does know them pretty he good. He knows his stuff on Texas dogs. Texas Troubadour. That's like a George Strait yeah, dog I, line right I've there. Heard, I've heard that dog's name. Texas Troubadour. I have too. That's a badass dog. Martha name. Russell out of Gainesville, Texas. Not too far from here. Yeah, I saw the street sign. I saw the sign going yep. to Gainesville. That's where Tubbs is at. That's cool. Martha. Good for you, Heath, knowing all that. Well, guys, I'm proud to know you. I'm proud that y'all are on the podcast. I, I really appreciate the hunt today. We're going to get after him again tomorrow. We'll podcast again tomorrow. This is MF Waterfell, Malakote Farms, on Instagram, at MF Waterfell, Facebook, MF Waterfell. Website's about done. Book a hunt for the 2020-2021 season. They got it going on. Awesome guides. Awesome owners, awesome properties, great access. They're going to have a lodge built pretty soon. We will keep you updated on that. Today's episode was brought to you by Grant and Kelly Mellicote, the brother and sister-in-law of these three brothers. Not the three that we talked to tonight, but the three brothers that own MF Waterfowl and Farms. And they own Bodyguard Bumpers, bodyguardbumpers.com. All of your front and rear bumpers, your replacement sidesteps, accessories for Dodge, for Chevy, for the one and only ford which is the only truck you should drive the only truck you should own and jeep all of you jeep guys out there and girls that love to accessorize your jeeps and your uh, jeep suvs check them out at bodyguardbumpers.com they do a hundred percent legit job 100 percent american made right here in paris texas they employ 35 texans locals, Americans, guys that came from Mexico that are legal United States citizens that have been with them to 12 to 15 years that are badass welders and pipe benders and fabricators. These guys are the real deal. They're a success story. They're living the American dream. Bodyguardbumpers.com, MF Waterfowl. Book a hunt with the Mellicote brothers. The brothers are Wes and Jordan and Matt. They rock it. They got awesome dogs. They have awesome blinds. They have awesome properties. They got a lot of ducks. Les Nesbitt, my buddy, thank you so much for being here. We will get back with Les tomorrow so he can tell us how much more the hair on the back of his neck. And this dude has a neck. This dude lifts weights like a freaking machine. 79 years old, and we're going to talk to him tomorrow about how much a mallard duck makes the hair on that neck stand up. Way more than a mule deer, an antelope, or a sheep, or an elk does. And we're going to talk to more of the Mellicut Farms guys, the MF Waterfowl guys, Bodyguard Bumpers, Badge Caps. Check us out at thefowllife.com. New episodes airing right now exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. Brand new apparel, apparel available right now at thefowllife.com. The Small Talk, the Loud Mouth, the Icebreaker available right now at jargongamecalls.com. Thank you so much for the success of Jargon. They truly are an amazing duck call. We have new designs coming soon, new colors, new combinations. We have a short barrel coming out that's going to be badass. It's called the Chit Chat. Chit Chat, that's part of Jargon. You know what Jargon is, Absolutely. The specialized vocabulary amongst a group of people. Check us out at jargongamecalls.com on Instagram at jargongamecalls at the Foul Life TV and Facebook at the Foul Life TV and again, the Foul Life.com new apparel 
available uh, apparel available right now. I'm fired up. I'm excited to be in Texas. We have a musician coming overnight. We will tell you more about him tomorrow when we get to meet him and hear his originals and his covers. I'm hearing right now that he sounds a little by a little bit like the original lead singer of I'm trying to think of it right now. Who's the band in Nashville? Gosh dang it, it's skipping my mind. Chris Stapleton's original band. Who? The Steel Drivers, Chris Stapleton. I heard this guy sounds like Chris. I've been in a lot of Chris's concerts. It's hard to beat that. For Les Nesbitt, for Heath, for Brent, for Jordan, MF Waterfowl, Tom Rashishin, our awesome producer and animator. Hit that button. This song is by 2AM Logic. It was written by myself. A little help from Clay and a little help from Todd Thompson at 2AM Logic. This is called My Foul Life. You can find it at iTunes right now. Get it while it's hot. It's been out for about eight years. We've sold a lot of copies. A lot of dudes love it when they're driving to the blind. Thank you guys so much. Any closing words, guys, before we leave this podcast? Heath? I've had a blast. I've had a blast. I've enjoyed hunting with y'all, hanging out in the afternoons. And more to come. More to come. Yes, sir. I can't wait. I'm proud of you for knowing all this dog lingo and being fired up about duck hunting. Brent, any closing words? Enjoyed it, man. Just nice meeting you guys and hanging out. It's been a blast. Is he going to say the same thing when we leave, when we see the tail lights? you think? I don't know. Man, I'm, I, I like You're as real close. as they get. I huh? like them close. I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Jordan? Hey, let's do it again in the morning. Get the mallards in tight. Yes, sir. Les, you got any closing words? Hey, it's been a pleasure knowing you and Clay and your brothers Wait and a family. minute. Are you saying something's happening tonight? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Are, are you not waking up in the morning? <laughs> well, you know, it's whether you guys wake up in the morning. Okay, not me. I just want to make sure that I heard that cough this morning. I want to make sure nothing was going on. Chad Belding, the Fat Life Podcast. Check out our sister podcast. This life ain't for everybody. Tom, again, sorry for rambling on. This is the song "My Foul Life" by Two AM Logic. Thank you all very much. Somebody in the air.